What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Monday, September 19th. Again, on track with these episodes. I'm pretty proud of us, Matt. But today we've got two sports that we're going over, obviously. Well, not really sports, but two different categories that we're going to go through. It's going to be the NFL and obviously college football as well, because that's what we love to talk about during football season. And we've got we've got a pretty packed episode today. We've got three topics for both categories. And so we might move not fast through each topic, but I mean, you guys know if you guys listened to the last episode that we only had four topics for last episode. So we spent about, I'd say, 15 minutes on each topic. But this episode is going to be a little bit faster, maybe only about 10 maybe even a little less than that on each topic, but it'll still be informative and dense as always. Today, Matt, I'm going to give you a little uh, story about today. In my sports journalism class here at UVA, we had a little hot takes class, which is basically when there's a few people that present a topic to the class and we spend the whole entire class, all hour and 15 minutes of it, talking about that topic and kind of just debating on whether or not we're for or against it or neutral on the topic. And you know what the topic was today? It was conference realignment in the, in the NCAA. And I was there like, there we go. Yes. I like, dude, I literally love this because I've done four NCAA doomsday series episodes on it, full of content and full of research. And so I dropped some bombs, dude. I, I dropped that one bomb about the, uh, about the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL and the NBA and how, if the NCAA were to kind of take on something like that, some kind of dynamic where they give 50% of the revenue to back to the players and keep 50% of the revenue for the schools, how athletes, the best athletes could be making up to a million dollars a year and everything like that. And, and everybody went crazy. They were like, dude, what? And I was like, yeah, dude, this is, this is how it is. Um, obviously that wasn't, it, it kind of strayed away from the topic of conference realignment. We started talking more about NIL because it seemed like that's what, the class wanted to touch up on more, but yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely fun. I, um, I was, I was in my element and I loved it. So Matt, how are you? Well, I'm, I'm sure that you mentioned at the end of that, that, uh, oh, by the way, all of this should be credited to my lovely and wonderful brother who had the original idea in the first place and uh, actually gave me all the ideas for this. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. But, but to, to the, for the most part, yeah, you know, um, that's really interesting. That's really cool. But that's not really what we're going to be talking about today, uh, because today we have a lot of updates on the crazy week in the NFL, uh, which encompassed a lot of teams that were supposed to win that didn't win. A lot of teams that were winning by a lot that still didn't win. Uh, and then we're kind of going to get a little bit more specific uh, with the NFL teams, as well as a lot of college football news kind of going all over college football with with conferences and everything like that. But I don't want to take up any more of your time doing introductions because I think we kind of do a lot of that and sometimes probably isn't the best. So let's go right into the NFL. We're going to do a little lightning round. All right. And we kind of got some got some themes going on here. And those and there's teams that fit those themes. Uh, so the first one is good teams that blew historic leads. That is the Ravens and the Dolphins. We can also add the Browns in there a little bit. I don't think they're considered as a good team, really. But just to start off the Browns, I guess we will, um, are the first team to blow a, four, a 14, basically, you know, two touchdown lead uh, in the last two minutes of the game. And we all saw the stats on social media afterwards that Nick Chubb with a minute and 45 seconds left on the clock runs in a touchdown and the Jets didn't have any timeouts. So if he had just gone down at the 10 yard line or the eight yard line or wherever he was at, 
the Browns kneel out the ball and they win by 11 points and instead, or yeah, 10 points or whatever. No, because they were, yeah, they would have won by four points. All right. Because they were up 24 to 20 and they kicked, they got, they got the touchdown. Then the kicker misses the extra point too, which like really put the nail in the coffin because they would have at least gone to overtime after Joe Flacco threw that laser of a ball to, uh, to the rookie there in the end zone. Um, and so you, you really end up with a situation where the Browns are just kind of still the Browns, right? So that's why I'm not really including them so much in this, I guess, historic, uh, historic blow up because we kind of all expected that to happen to the Browns. So the Ravens, I mean, obviously, come on, dude. Um, so they were up by 21 points in the fourth quarter and lost the game. I think it was just a combination of they were playing not to lose. They had gone up by so many points. Even in the first half, they were up by 21. After the first half, they were up by 21 after the third quarter. And you really just don't expect the team to be able to come back from that far down uh, in, in a game. I actually heard a stat, too, where it's the first time that a team has come back from a 20-plus point deficit to win the game in the fourth quarter like down by 20 plus points in the fourth quarter and still win the game first time since 2006 and it's only happened eight times in the Super Bowl era so like in basically 60 years it's only happened eight times uh and that was the Ravens which we don't really expect from a team like that right who's very well run from top to bottom from the general manager down to John Harbaugh the head coach who's a Super Bowl winning head coach who you know with the defense and how well they always are playing and and obviously Lamar Jackson was Every bit of what we think Lamar Jackson to be in that game, uh, 79 yard rushing touchdown. Like, are you kidding me? So we saw that happen, but we 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 kind of we kind of saw for the first time this Ravens team, despite looking really good, give up a lead that really they shouldn't have done, and and really that was you know one for the history books as we saw that you know um, obviously Tua and and Tyreek and Jalen Waddle all uh, pretty much went off in the in the second or in the fourth quarter really of that game. So that's kind of I feel like a little bit interesting. I, again, you know I don't think we can really draw too much from it, but at the same time, this is a Dolphins team that in the past we would never have seen something like this from them, right? And so that was kind of my my big takeaway from from here. So Hayden, let me get your thoughts on the Dolphins and the Ravens. Yeah, well, first of all, if you ever showed me Tua Tagovailoa's stat line from Sunday and you said this stat line was done in a game, one game by Tua Tagovailoa, I would never against the Ravens. Yeah, exactly. He had what four over four hundred passing yards and then six t- touchdowns as well. I think he had like two picks as well, but I mean, who cares about that? I mean, he he had in standard scoring leagues, I think he had almost. 40 points. I think he had 39, 39 fantasy points, which is crazy. But I also think that that's a, a testament to what I mentioned in our AFC win totals episode when I was talking about the Miami Dolphins and how they might just squeeze out some wins here and there that you don't expect. I'm not very high on them this season in general, but they do have that crazy fast offense that just scores nonstop sometimes. You know, with that kind of offense, Right, they can come back from a 21-point deficit in the fourth quarter and do it with ease. I think it's – I wasn't very surprised because, like I said, they have so much speed on that offense, and that's the type of offense that can do that, and that's one of the only types of offenses that that could come back from a 21-point deficit in the fourth quarter. But, again, it was still surprising just because it's Tua, and Matt and I are really big fans of Tua, but – Hey, he shut me up on Sunday, and that was that was that. I don't think it's that much of a statement on the Ravens, though. I, I think that the Ravens are going to be fine. I know, Matt, you're really high on them. They're going to be fine. As long as they stay away from injuries, they're going to be fine. So don't 
I don't think that this is a, a very big statement on, on how they played. Which the Ravens are also building up on injuries again, specifically defensively, which, you know, it's just one of those things that if you can't beat the injury bug, not sure how you're going to, you know, go super. And that's just a luck thing. Right? I mean, you can't you can't control that. That's not that's not, you know, how the game is played or anything. It's just if your players get hurt or not, which which is obviously out of everybody's control. The second crazy you know, team that blew a historic lead was the Raiders who blew a lead to the Cardinals. Now the Raiders were up 20 to nothing at halftime. I think they were up 20 to nothing after the third quarter. It was like, or 20 to three or something like that. And lose, end up losing an overtime 29 to 23 uh, to the Cardinals who this was just a really weird game. I remember watching it kind of in spurts throughout, throughout, you know, yesterday afternoon. Uh, and it was one of those 4 PM games. So it was on a little bit more just because there was less volume of, of other games going on at the same time. And it, it, the Raiders did what they what we thought they were going to do. They they you know week one they played the Chargers and they played well, but Derek Carr did not play well. Uh, the team did around him, and, and he messed up a bunch of times, and he just he he wasn't making the right decisions and all that. And so we, you know we kind of got back to that conversation of is he the real deal or does he kind of just suck? And in this game, to begin this game, it looked like he was the real deal, right? I mean, they were up 20 to nothing. Defense was playing out of their minds and then they just completely lost it uh, to the Cardinals. Now, again, the Cardinals are kind of another one of those teams where it's like, what, you know, we don't know what they're going to be because they have games where they look amazing. And then they have games where they also kind of suck. And so in, in that kind of range of possibilities there, we saw that these two teams were doing what we could have expected to happen the Raiders okay they get back on track right they're they're in the AFC West but they're still you know people say that they could get 10 wins they could make the playoffs they can really make a run here especially with John, Josh McDaniels as the new head coach who's very offensively minded they got Devontae Adams right you get you got this team that that's really looking up for the season they're performing really well in the first half and the Cardinals who we kind of always talk about like you know is does Kyler does, does he care about playing football or, or does he just want to stay in his basement and play Call of Duty? That's kind of the the this decision here. And for the first part of the game, that's what it looked like. Was like, you know, he's going to go play Call of Duty in his basement. Well, no. Then he comes out and he actually looks like he wants wants to play. And so the, all those plays where he's scrambling around for you know thirty seconds and he looks like a like a little ant or like a little chipmunk out there on the field just running around, skirting around, and end up you know scoring on basically every time he does that because it's so hard for the defense to keep track of all the receivers that are out to pass as well as where he's going in the backfield and obviously the defensive linemen have no shot of catching up with him he ends up winning the game for them I mean he looked amazing in that second half but it's like can you just do that you know consistently throughout the throughout the course of a game and and until that happens I don't think that the Cardinals are going to you know be this team that everybody should look forward to playing uh or, or playing well and you know competing in the NFC West and and, and the NFC at large and, and being a playoff team and stuff like that because this version of the Cardinals team that we saw win the game yesterday is amazing. But the Cardinals team that we saw for three quarters is not. And so it's one of those things that, sure, you can get really lucky and score a bunch of garbage time points against a Raiders team that isn't, you know, at the top of the league to begin with. And Kyler looks like he's an MVP and, and running all over the place. But at the same time, you know, if if you have games like when week one, when he when they the whole team looked horrible against the Chiefs. Now, again, the Chiefs are really good, but it's still you, you would expect a little bit more competition from the Cardinals. They didn't show it. And so that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm at with this game is like, you know, these are two teams that are supposed to be a little bit better than league average, I would say. And both of them show their biggest flaws in how they're just never able to play a full game of football, right? And play it correctly. So Hayden, what, what do you got on the on the Cardinals and Raiders here? Yeah. 
firstly on Kyler Murray, I just I don't think he's really a really good leader. I think that obviously he's an athletic freak. He's he's listed at I think five ten or five eleven. He's not five ten. He's probably five eight. Honestly, I I was talking to my roommate earlier, Ishan, and he was he was saying that you know how they do those pictures after the draft of like all the first rounders and they'll, they'll all be in the same picture. Well, Marquise Brown was standing next to Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown was taller than Kyler Murray was. And I think Marquise Brown is listed at probably five ten as well, or maybe even five nine or something like that. So right. Kyler Murray's not five nine, but I mean five ten, but he's, he's obviously an athletic freak and, and can play and has the athletic ability to play in the NFL. But I don't think he has the, morale or the leadership to play in the NFL. He's, he's, I don't think he's really a good locker guy, locker room guy. And I don't know. You just see him sometimes on the field after a bad play, he'll just kind of put his head down and shrug his shoulders or complain or anything like that. You you know, he doesn't go on the sidelines and congratulate his players all the time and, and kind of keep their spirits up. I, at least I haven't seen much of that. He, we have seen him, you know, get hype on after some plays. I think there was an interception return for a touchdown, maybe, yesterday by them or something or some kind of field goal block or something like that. And he got hype on the sidelines for that. And he ran onto the field and everything, but I don't think that when times are tough, I don't think that Kyler Murray is a very good leader for the Raiders. On the other hand. Yeah. I think that the, the whole Derek Carr situation is just, it's kind of blown up in his face. I think, I think that the Raiders need a better running game. I think, I mean, in the first, in their first game or there's no, I think it was against the, yeah, it was actually yesterday yesterday against the Cardinals. Josh Jacobs, and I know that Josh Jacobs is not only the, the only running back in that offense, but Josh Jacobs ran 19 times for 69 yards. That's an average of 3.6 yards per attempt. That's not too good. I think that their O-line is not the best either. And so I think what we're starting to see is the offense kind of leaning a lot on Derek Carr and depending on him to carry them down the field. And I don't think that Derek Carr is really ready for that. That's not the same past years that that wasn't the case. I do think that the Raiders rush rush running game in past years was a little bit better, but I think that down the stretch, we're going to need to see more from their running game in order for that passing game to kind of open, open up because we know that they've got weapons at receiver. I mean, I have Devonte Adams on, on one of my fantasy teams. Now I traded for him actually just this past week. And of course I traded Aaron Jones away for Devonte Adams. Oh. And a, a, a couple other players were, were involved. Oh. But I have Cooper Cup on that same team. So I have Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams on the same team right now. And I was like, dude, they're going to get me 60 points a game because it's PPR. And sure enough, Devontae Adams gets, I think, two catches for 12 yards and a touchdown. At least, at least he had a touchdown. But, yeah, it was uh, it was not too good for me yesterday uh, for him. But I think that he'll he'll probably t- touch it up, uh, you know, going down the stretch of this season. So, yeah. All right, now to move on to the second part of this lightning round, which hasn't really been a lightning round. We kind of got to speed up a little bit here, I guess. <laughs> Teams that were supposed to be good that kind of suck, and we're going to highlight here the Colts and the Bengals. The Colts, I don't even really want to spend too much time on it. You can go back and listen to the AFC Win Totals podcast that we did. I'm down on the Colts. I said it before the season started. You, you can't just expect that a veteran quarterback who's basically washed at this point on his last leg is just going to come in and change the franchise around or or at the very least bring him to the playoffs and, and have a chance of going to the Super Bowl. No, like it didn't work with Philip Rivers. He actually got to the playoffs when he was there with them. Didn't work. 
right? Because they lost to the Bills in the first round of the playoffs that year. Last year, Carson Wentz looks like he doesn't even know how to play football half the time. He's throwing inter- he's throwing pick sixes with his left hand. I mean, come on, dude. All right? And then this year, you get Matt Ryan in there, and he's, like, leading the league in interceptions right now and doesn't look like he has a clue of where his receivers are. Now, the receivers aren't that great, all right? So the weapons aren't there. Okay, fine. But still, like, we got to get someone else in there who can lead this team to a good result because Jonathan Taylor, as good as he is and as good as that offensive line is, that's not going to win you football games. And so we saw that really come to fruition yesterday. I mean, they got shut out by the Jaguars, 24 to nothing. What are we doing here? I mean, they're just bad, but it's like, I'm not surprised really. So Hayden, if you have anything on the Colts, you can can go ahead. Um, I'm just going to go over the Bengals quickly too. It's surprising to see them lose both their first games, especially being the fit. You know, I think they were touchdown favorites in, in both the games. It's something to do with Joe Burrow and and getting in sync with the offense. It takes a little while. They were in the Super Bowl last year. There's, you know, hangover associated with that. They beefed up the offensive line, but they got to play together first because they didn't play together in the preseason. He's getting sacked even at a higher clip than he was last year, which I don't even know how that's possible. Uh, but shout out to Mike Vozar here, our dad, which he made a point where to some extent Joe Burrow is kind of causing this. He kind of do it to himself, right? He's holding the ball for a long time. And, and if he doesn't see anything, he'll, he'll just step up in the pocket, but you step on the step up into the pocket. And what do you do when you're getting sacked by the defensive lineman because they're getting pushed back too. So I think it's just a combination of everything going wrong for the, for the, for the Bengals there. And they're going to, I think it'll just take a little bit to kind of work out the kinks in the offense. I think they'll be fine, but the Colts completely different story. Yeah. I don't, I don't honestly don't really have much to say on the Colts or the Bengals. I think that Matt, you kind of summed it up perfectly. The Colts just their passing game is not there. Matt Ryan obviously is not used to that offense. It's it's very apparent and they're leaning on Jonathan Taylor a lot. And he didn't even have that good of a game yesterday either. So I think that that was a telltale sign of right. They're kind of running into a roadblock here in the road and the Bengals. Yeah. I think that our dad put it perfectly with, with Joe Burrow and how he kind of creates sacks for himself I, all all QBs do that at some point, but yeah, Joe Burrow, I think he was just, he's used to doing that at LSU. He was able to do that just because he was going up against other collegiate competition that just the guys weren't as, as athletic as these NFL guys on the, on the D line. And also, I mean, the, the pass rush and the kind of schemes that defenses use in college are a lot different than in the NFL. A lot of guys in the NFL are really good at containing. And so, right. If you try to step up or if you try to take a little, a little step to the right in the pocket that contained guy is going to come for you and he's going to come for you fast. So I think that Joe Burrow probably does create more sacks than are let up for himself. And that's, that's definitely hurting their team right now as well. So that's all I'll have to say about them Matt. move on. Last thing here is the team that lost their starting quarterback, but really that was the best thing for them and now could possibly be the best team in the league award. And that's the 49ers. Okay. And I've been saying this again too, even before the season started, Trey Lance is not good. And, and it's nothing against him specifically. It's mostly just kind of the coach, the coaching staff and the, and the general manager and the whole, you know, personnel department who thought that for some reason, this guy who's thrown, I craziest stat of all that, okay. To finally back all this thing up. This man has thrown 417 passes since high school, since high school, all of his college career, all of his NFL career, he's thrown 417 passes. That's like, that's less than what Matthew Stafford threw in a regular season last year. Okay. So the fact that like, you think he's going to be the drafted from number three overall, I get it. He has the size, he has the skills. He, he can, he can really, if he's great, this offense could be amazing, but he's not so far and, and very unfortunate that he got hurt, but 
I think it was the best thing for him. I think Jimmy Garoppolo knows that offense. He's run it well. They've been to the NFC Championship two of the last three years. They've been in the Super Bowl two years ago, three years ago, right? So, like, this is a good team with the pieces that they already have in place. With Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo leading this offense now, I think the sky's the limit. The defense is absurd. They have players. The way the offense runs the ball, it's it's it, Kyle Shanahan's an absolute genius. So as much as I really hate the 49ers because they've beaten the Packers in the NFC playoffs, the last, I think each of the last three years, like three years straight, Packers have lost to the 49ers in the playoffs. And this is exactly why, because they run the ball ferociously. The defense does not give a crap who you are, and they will come after you and they will win the game. All right. So look for the 49ers to make a run now because Trey Lyons has gone down again. I hate to see him go down for the full season. He, he fractured his ankle. I would never wish that upon anybody. I would never want to do that. My, I'd, I'd probably cry a lot if I fractured my ankle. Okay. And he didn't cry at all. So he is definitely a superior athlete to me. I get it. Okay. But for the overall success of this 49ers team, they are much better off with Jimmy Garoppolo. And we got to hope that when Trey Lance comes back next season, He's able to pick up the slack because I think that the, the sky's the limit for this 49ers team. And if they do well this season and next year, he's, he comes in again and is just a little bit not not looking what it should be, then maybe wasting all those picks and, and trading up for the third pick in the overall draft wasn't really worth it. And if it wasn't, then fine. They can just keep resigning Jimmy G, right? Or find someone else who, who can run the offense well. But I, I love the upside of this 49ers team now that Trey Lance is, is not going to be the quarterback for the rest of the season. I think that if Jimmy Garoppolo takes the 49ers anywhere, well, basically if he takes them to the, to the conference championship again or anywhere past the divisional round, really, I think that Trey Lance is going to be out of San Francisco. I, I was talking about it with my buddy Ishan this morning and he brought this up to me. So credit him for the, for the take, but I agree. I think that he, he basically said that he thinks that Trey Lance won't be in San Francisco anymore. If Jimmy Garoppolo can, lead this team to success this year because we've like Matt said we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo do in the past there was that weird relationship with Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers organization this past offseason and they end up putting Jimmy Garoppolo as the last quarterback on the depth chart at one point obviously now he's starting and that means that he was the backup to Trey Lance to start the season but there was one point in the offseason where Jimmy Garoppolo was the fourth quarterback on the 49ers depth chart, which is absurd. And it's just because of those petty things that happened over the off season. But I do think that, yes, the, the, the 49ers took a chance on Trey Lance, Ooh, look at that tra- chance on Trey Lance, but they're probably gonna have to pay for it because after this season, I don't know if they're going to want to have to deal with trying to develop him after an injury such as this one, which is a pretty bad injury. It's pr- basically just like Dax that he had a, a couple years ago. And so, I don't know. I, I think that Trey Lance might be might be out of there. They they're gonna get a lot of less value for him. They're probably gonna get maybe a third third, maybe a second round pick for him for Trey Lance just because of the upside that he has, but they're not gonna get much more. And like Matt said, they they traded up to number three to get him in that 2021 draft. And it just it just hasn't worked out for him. So that's uh that's my take on that. Moving on to our next NFL topic. It is about the Lions, and you saw it in the title. It's the first thing that's mentioned in the title because this is the craziest story, I think, so far this season. I mean, it's been a crazy NFL season, period, just with all of the upsets that have happened and all the close games that we don't really expect to be close that have happened. But the Lions have scored a combined total of nine touchdowns through their first two games, which is tied with only the Kansas City Chiefs for the most in the league so far. Both teams have actually scored exactly a league high of 
71 points. So they're tied for the league high in points at 71 points through through the first two games. I mean, that, that's a pretty good feat, right, Matt? I mean, you know, Kansas City Chiefs, they have one of the best offenses in the league. They have had one of the best offenses in the league for the past four or five years, and the Lions are right up there with them at the beginning of the season. So, yes, their defense was uh, was definitely the reason that they lost to the, the Eagles in week one, and their defense was also the reason why they almost lost to the Commanders yesterday and why they almost let the Commanders come back from being down 22-zip in the first quarter and a half or first half or something half-time. like that. Halftime. Yeah, halftime. Yeah, exactly. So I think that they're – I think their first – either their first four corners got hurt or for some reason they were playing their fifth and sixth corners yesterday at the end of the game, which is th- – that makes sense why Carson Wentz was able to, to almost pull off a comeback, crazy comeback, because they were playing their backup, backup, backup cornerbacks yesterday. And – it wasn't looking too good for their defense out there, but their offense. I mean, I, that, that's kind of what I want to talk about here is the Lions offense. And I'm going to ask this question to Matt. Do we see Detroit keeping this up for the rest of the season? Can they keep this offensive production up for the rest of the season? We still have Jamison Williams that needs to come, come back later in the season. So that could be a little topic of uh, topic of discussion here. But right. I think that this offense has been really surprising this year. They've, they've just looked so in sync. Their running game is just on fire. Amon Ross St. Brown is on fire as well. Jared Goff is just out there doing his thing, managing the game, doing what he does best. And and he surprised me this season as well. I'm not a very big Jared Goff fan, but he's, he's shut my mouth this season as well. So I want to see, uh, I want to see what Matt's thoughts are on Lions offense here. We saw this a little bit last year, the, 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 the potential for offensive production from the Lions. And it was because they lost so many games and they were losing so badly in so many games that the only chance they had or the only option they had was to just score a bunch in garbage time. And usually that meant the other team had already assumed that they were going to win. And so they gave up, not gave up, but stopped playing as hard, right? Put it, maybe put in their backups or whatever. And so the lions kept scoring at the end of these games and they didn't win any of them because they went two, two 14 and one last year. And so, but there was, there was signs. Okay. We saw in a lot of games, they would, they would at least score a lot of points, uh, you know, at the end of the game when yes, it didn't matter, but they still had the potential to score and they actually, you know, kind of felt or, you know, went through on it and actually did this year. We see that essentially that trend continue. However, it's a little bit better in the sense that they're at least scoring, not when they're down by 21 points already. Right. In the Eagles game, it was a little bit of that. In this game against the Commanders, it was not. It was the opposite. They got out to the scoring lead, right? They were leading the scoring. They every drive, you know, went down. And and, and even when Washington started to come back in the in the second half, you know, it was like touchdown, Carson Wentz, touchdown, Antonio Gibson, touchdown. But every time after one of those Commanders touchdowns, the Lions went right back down and answered, and they scored a touchdown too. So it is a good question. And unfortunately, because, and, and I, and I love talking about the Lions because I love, you know, teams that kind of suck and, and, and talking about how they can possibly be better. Um, but I think unfortunately for the Lions, it's a, it's a, it, they're kind of at the mercy of the two game sample size here. And the first game was against the Eagles who are a better team than them, who were up by, I think as much as 17 points in the second half against them. And then, yeah, you know, kind of what we saw last year happen a lot where it was garbage time points and, and the, and the team that was leading by a lot, you know, kind of, we're just like, all right, we're, I mean, we're going to win. You guys can score if you want to, but whatever, we're going to win anyway. And that's what happened in week one, week two, 
different story. As I said, 22 nothing at halftime. You win the game by nine points, almost double digits. They covered as a favorite. I think it was there was a crazy stat where like they were favorites in a game, in a football game for the first time in I think it was like 24 games or something, like like almost two full seasons, right? And they won and they covered the spread as a favorite, which that's probably been three or four years since that's happened, right? So they're looking good. But my thing with this one though is it's the commanders. Unfortunately enough, they're not that good of a team, specifically their defense. They had one crazy year on defense when Chase Young was a rookie and and that defense just came out of nowhere and was magical for a season. It is probably one of the worst in the league right now. And and I think by the by the simple fact that it was 22 nothing at halftime, we can see that there's problems with this Commanders team. So unfortunately as much as I, again as, as much as I want to root for the Lions and and hopefully their scoring continues, it might be in garbage time points because they're going to be get getting down, you know, early in games again, I think. But I think this is a, a basically a sign for more more so that the Commanders might be even worse than the Lions, which again, the Lions, you know, they're not going to be as bad as they were last year. They're going to win more than two games, all right? And they already have one game. So there you go, right? They're one and one. So you can really only do much better than that. But I think I think the commanders are so bad that it's one of those things that like they can't if, if this is a game, the Lions are just going to win it. And yes, they scored a lot of points. But since the commander's defense is bad, too, it kind of lends itself to being one of those types of games. So a little bit of a little bit of a bittersweet tone in my voice, I know. But I'm just also trying to be realistic about this type of thing. And so, you know, go Lions, score your points. But you're not getting anywhere with Jared Goff as your quarterback. They do have guys. They have weapons. OK, but. You know, we, we got to see it. We got to see it happen in the first half of against good competition. And and then I'll be OK. I'll be a believer. All right. So. So, Hayden, what do you have to counter that? Well, I was going to say, are you a little bit worried about the Lions now maybe taking a game against the Packers this year? Only when the Packers are going to be 13 and three going to the last game of the season, they play the Lions and they don't need it because they're already the number one seed. And the Lions just win because of that. Is that the game in Lambeau, though? It doesn't matter. They're going to lose it because they don't need to put they're going to rest their starters because you want to save Aaron Rodgers for the playoffs. Right. I don't know. I mean, it, it is. I think even if the Packers rest their starters, it's going to be a pretty tough game for anybody to play in Lambeau because it's just so cold at the end of the season. But yeah, no, I, I think that all the stuff that Matt said about the Lions is great. And I do their offensive line. And th- this is kind of already known, but their offensive line is actually really good. And that obviously means that they are going to have a good run game just by default. And DeAndre Swift is is one of those guys that I've never really been high on. Last year, he didn't really do too well at all, and a lot of people were drafting him pretty high in fantasy. He goes high in PPR leagues because he does get a good amount of receptions and a good amount of looks in the passing game. But Jamal Williams actually is usually put in on the goal line. If they're on the two- or three-yard line, then they put Jamal Williams in, and he runs in the touchdown. It's kind of like what they do to Nick Chubb in Cleveland, which I have no idea why. I was pretty happy with Nick Chubb's performance uh, I had him in two, no, one league. But uh, but yeah, when Matt was talking about that touchdown that Nick Chubb had that he could have just downed at the 10-yard line instead of running it in and giving the Jets uh, some time to come back, I was pretty happy about that because it didn't uh, help my fantasy team. But yes, I think that when Jamison Williams comes back, which I don't even really know the timetable, I feel, I feel like it's somewhere in the week eight range is when Jamison Williams is supposed to come back fully healthy. But I think when he does, dude, this offense is going to be crazy. Now, again, you could say, okay, well, you can have all that speed and all that deep threat on Because, I mean, Jamison Williams really is. He's kind of – he's a deep threat guy, and he's also kind of a drag route guy. He's hes one of those Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle type guys where he can kind of beat you both ways. And him in combination with 
Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be really fun to watch, but it's just going to be a question of can Jared Goff get it done? Because if you can't, I mean, if you don't have a quarterback that can throw it downfield accurately and consistently accurately, you're not really going to see much production or as much production as you would like to see out of that offense. So I, I do, I, I actually do believe in the Lions. I do think that they can keep this up. Yes, the commander's defense is bad, but the Eagles defense is pretty good. So, and they were able to, to, to score a lot of points on them regardless. I mean, even if it was garbage time, it's still, they're still scoring points, right? So I, I, I mean, I like to see that. I like what I see from the Lions and I do believe in them. I, I, I'm also rooting for them at this point because I love Dan Campbell and he loves his players. Oh, he does. And so I, I really want to see them succeed, but I uh, obviously, you know, that'll kind of just be subject to the season as, as, as the season goes on. But I do think that they can keep up at least some of this production. I don't think that they're going to be tied with the chiefs at the end of the season for the most amount of points scored across the whole season. But, um, but I am, I am going to kind of place them in that probably middle tier of, of the offenses in the league, which is a good, a good sign for them. So. Speaking of offense, we got a whole topic dedicated to an individual player, and that's Cooper Cup, who continues to impress despite the Rams kind of kind of being a little weird on offense and, and not really being able to close out games. Um, so, yes, it's only been two weeks of the regular season, but Cooper Cup already has 24 receptions for 236 yards and three touchdowns. Lots of people thought he'd regress from last year, which, to remind you, he won the Offensive Player of the Year, which, like, a receiver never – wins that he won that last year for obviously i mean he's record break, record breaking uh season overall as well as individual game performances was was amazing and so yet he still finds a way to remain a target monster despite most teams keying in on him defensively which you'd you'd, you'd want to do you either put your best cornerback or, or double him up or whatever but we keep on seeing in these games he's just He's wide open in the middle of the field, and and so somehow he does it. Um, so what is with this guy? Is, is it is it Matt Stafford? Is you know is he the reason for his success? Is it just you know his ability to to, to get open in the in, in the when in the open field and 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 just you know make guys miss or, or or running routes? You know, should we be recognizing Stafford then as one of the elite quarterbacks instead of giving Cooper Cup all the praise? So so what's your what's your analysis of the situation here, Aiden? I'm probably going to keep it pretty short on this one. I I think that. You should give praise to both guys. I think that more credit and more praise should be given to Matt Stafford than is already being done. I, I think, I mean, Cooper Cup is a great receiver. And if, if you see, I think his first touchdown catch of the season was in the corner of the end zone against the Buffalo Bills. And it was just one of the craziest toe taps that you'll ever see. He's got, I mean, he's so talented, that guy. And, and he works out of the slot as well, which is another reason why he gets so many targets is because, Slot guys, they're, I mean, they're naturally going to be closer in their route to the quarterback. I mean, usually, I mean, you know, if they run a corner route and then the outside guy runs a slant, then the outside guy becomes closer to the quarterback than the slot guy does. But to start the play, Cooper Cup is always, he's usually the closest one to Matt Stafford than, I mean, other than the tight end, you know, Tyler Higby or whatever, whoever they still have there. But right, he's the closest receiver to, Matt Stafford. And so he's obviously going to be one of his favorite targets, but I mean, Cooper cups route running is probably top five in the league right now. And as a slot guy, you love to see that, that because that means that he can either go left or right. And, he, and the linebackers slash DBs never really know what he's doing. That's another thing is that matchups are, are a really big deal in the, in the slot. You know, sometimes they'll put some, sometimes teams will 
literally put their best corner in the slot when he usually works outside. They'll put their best corner in the slot just to cover Cooper Cup. But sometimes that's not the case. And you got a linebacker or you've got, you know, some kind of shorter nickel corner that on the inside covering Cooper Cup. And he's I mean, he's going to burn those guys or moss those guys every, you know, every day of the week. And so it's just he's a matchup nightmare on the inside. I kind of called it when I drafted him in, in one of my fantasy leagues. I drafted him pretty early. I think it was third or something like that. I drafted him over Justin Jefferson, and everybody was giving me crap about it. And I was like, dude, you just watched. Like, Cooper Cup, he's probably not going to win the Triple Crown again this year, but he's still going to – I mean, he's still going to produce, and he's still going to be a really, really good fantasy player, but also just player in general for the, for, for the Rams. But I do think that Matt Stafford gets – less credit than he deserves. I think that Matt's, I mean, Matt Stafford's the guy who's placing the balls there for Cooper cup to catch and keeping it away from the defender. So I, I think that, you know, m- more people need to be giving Matt Stafford credit than, than they are already, because I haven't really heard Matt Stafford's name in the conversations of the Rams success. It's really only been Cooper cup and and that defense, obviously Aaron Donald and J- Jalen Ramsey, but yeah, I, uh, I I do think that Matt Stafford deserves more of the credit, and I also do think that Cooper Cup is is maybe not going to regress as much as people thought he was going to this season. I think it's a combination. That's kind of a cop out answer. I like Hayden's take that you know it seems like Matt Stafford just doesn't really get that much credit, but I think it's their chemistry. I mean, we we heard last year in kind of their Super Bowl run and and then thereafter. They would get to the they would get to practice at like 5 a.m. before everybody else. They'd wake up and they'd have breakfast together, right? I mean, all this stuff that seems really like you know cliche and corny, where you're oh you we were grinding in the hours that nobody else worked. But look what it turned into a Super Bowl win and then a Super Bowl MVP for Matt Stafford and a Super Bowl or a offensive player of the year award for you know for for Cooper Cup. So if that's the case, then that means that these guys just are really in sync with each other. They they you know it's it's kind of like Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers used to be where it's like literally Aaron Rodgers looked to the side. He'd, he'd like blink at Devontae Adams and they'd know exactly what route he was going to run and all this stuff. So I think that it's just a combination. It's, you know, Stafford's going to look off the defenders in an, on another area of the field because he knows the Cooper Cup is going to cut in at this certain point and he's going to be able to hit him in the middle of the field. And because he looked off the safeties, there's going to be a wide open, you know, middle of the field. So it's, it's all that, it's all that combined. So I, I do like Hayden's point though, that you know, to some extent, like Matt Stafford's been a quarterback in the league for like 15 years now. He has a, a lot of like passing records, like stuff that you wouldn't really consider it being. Um, but he's a smart player. He's been in the league for this long for a reason. He won the Super Bowl in his first year in L.A., right? So all this stuff kind of goes towards the fact that, yes, it, it's a combination of both of them. It's not just Cooper Cup, who's who's this amazing athlete, you know, all of a sudden out of nowhere. That's it for the NFL. Let's move on to college football. So we saw Texas A&M, Texas A&M played Miami. Uh, and so they got a bounce, a big bounce back win uh, on, you know, this Saturday night against the 13th ranked, 13th ranked Miami uh, in a very low scoring game, which by the way, I had, I had the under on 44 and a half, never in doubt. Mario Cristobal, who's the coach of Miami. He's the new coach, by the way, he used to coach Oregon. All right. So he left Oregon, came to Miami, which is a pretty, you know, a little dicey move because Oregon has been historically, at least in the past, you know, 10 years or so much better than Miami, but Miami has a big recruiting, you know, ground in, in Florida and they have a lot more money behind the program. So in theory, he'd be able to build this place up, right? Well, he was supposed to bring this Miami program back to glory. It might take a little bit longer than this, but they're looking a little bit worse than we thought they would, or at least, you know, up until this point. So, you know, because so far it looks like they just might not have any talent compared to the bigger teams in, in college football. 
which by the way, you know, that's, that's essentially what Miami is, is should be or is striving to be. So my question to Hayden is, should we be worried about Miami right now after their, you know, lackluster ish performances so far this year, or should we wait to see what they do during ACC play because conference play hasn't even started yet uh, before we start panicking all over the place. I would say that, and I don't really even know if Mario Cristobal is more of a defensive guy or offensive guy. Do you know that Matt? He's, He's known for recruiting, which is kind of the okay. weird part where it's like not really either. <laughs> he kind of hires the guys and his coaches to coach the offense and defense. Um, and he, he, he focuses more on recruiting, but I think exactly what you're getting at is the point that I was going to make too. So go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's pretty obvious that, well, in the low scoring game in general, you would say, okay, well, the defense is played better than the offenses. And that's exactly what my, my point. And that's probably gonna be Matt's point as well is that, I think the, the the Miami defense is really good. I mean, they they let up. I think it was seventeen to nine was the final score for the game on Saturday between Texas A and M and Miami. Defense played really well. Both defenses were just locking down pretty much the whole game. But that offense is where the problems come in. They've got a, a quarterback Tyler Van Dyke, who I think I think this is his second year there. I think he played at Miami last year as well. Last yeah, he's, year, he's he's always been at Miami, but he's, he's been kind of basically waiting his turn. So when yeah. he was, he was like a freshman, he came in, he was a red shirted. Then he came when his first like starting opportunity came, it was when DR King was in his fifth year, senior season, he transferred from Houston. He was supposed to come into Miami and be this great guy. And he really wasn't that good, but he still played the whole season. Cause he was like a six year senior Tyler Van Dyke didn't really get a chance to play until the end of the season when DR King like tore his ACL or something. And he looked good. Tyler Van Dyke Van Dyke also played all of last year and looked really good but this year, not so much. So you, you got on the point there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm trying to get at with this is that Van Dyke doesn't look he doesn't look that good. He I think he was just a little bit maybe timid in that in that game on Saturday. I actually watched the whole thing. I wasn't doing anything on Saturday night because I had to be at the UVA football game working that game, which I haven't even talked about that on the podcast yet, but I probably will pretty soon. Stay tuned for that. Uh, but yeah, I I uh, I stayed in on on Saturday night and I kind of just watched football the whole night and that was one of the games that I watched and that's why I wrote this topic is because right I saw a lot from that Miami defense and not a lot from that Miami offense and it was kind of the same thing with with Texas A and M which is kind of interesting as well but I kind of called it with Texas A and M in our past few episodes with the college football preview and last episode when we were talking about. Texas A&M's loss against Appalachian State. Texas A&M just, they have a bunch of really good recruits. And I think that that fares better on defense sometimes than it does on offense, just because like the the Texas A&M uh, front seven and their D line is always super good. Their, their defensive line is always, is, is usually one of the best in the country. And I think it probably is again this year, but the rest of that team is just, is just not very good either. So I think that since we're talking about Miami right now, I think what we need to watch out for is right. Just seeing Tyler Van Dyke kind of maybe settle into this offense a little bit better. Mario Cristobal is doing what he wants to do there. And, and that's, and that's recruit good guys. And he's hopefully going to bring the glory back to Miami. And in that sense, like we've talked about, but, um, but I, I think they're, they're running back something. His last name is Parrish junior. I, I don't know his first name, but um, he's also supposed to be a, a pretty good player this year as well. And, we didn't see much from him last game either. Again, that's probably a product of the D line on Texas A&M just being a bunch of dogs and eating up that offensive line of, of Miami's. But 
right, this offense of, of Miami's really needs to step it up. Their defense is fine. I think that ACC play will be a lot easier for them. Obviously, you know, it's going to be easier for the most part than a Texas A&M team that is in the SEC. As, as much as they've kind of put us in question of their team this year, Texas A&M nonetheless is still in the SEC and has one of the best – or ha- had the best re- recruiting class coming into this year. So, right, when Miami plays teams like Virginia and teams like Duke – Louisville, we're probably going to see them dominate more in those games, but you never know. We, we might see them kind of fall apart, even that defense, since that off, if that offense can't pick it up, the defense might, uh, might be a little bit lackluster as well. I think you nailed everything there, Hayden. Seriously, I, I really don't have much to add. Basically, just a summary of, of what you said. And, and as I said too, Mario Cristobal is a recruiter. So when you get the talent there and you have the guys to coach up the talent, that becomes a you know dynamic program. He doesn't really have the talent yet, so he just needs to recruit more. Then he'll get the talent there, and then he'll have the coaches coach it up, and and then we'll see the game you know in game mechanics begin to improve. And so his you know he's not known for his X's and O's coaching, and, and that's fine. But you know we we got to give the guy a little bit of time. However, I do think, and and I think this is why you know Hayden in writing the topic was astutely pointing out they haven't looked as good as we thought they were going to look. Okay. They looked great in their first game, but they played Bethune Cookman. All right. Their second game was against Southern Miss and they were up seven to three at halftime against Southern Miss seven to three. And I think that seven points was a flea flicker for like 76 yards. All right. So, and then this game too. And so it's like, they should be doing a lot better than they are, but at the same time, it's a new regime. It's a, you know, it's a new offense. So Tyler Van Dyke, he's a great quarterback, but he has to learn a whole different offense and, and everything that Mario Cristobal is bringing over. So there's a lot more factors, I think, behind the scenes here that really point to the fact that we just got to give it a little bit of time. And exactly as Hayden said, too, the ACC is not a good conference. OK, like, right. Their schedule is 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 Georgia Tech and Duke and Syracuse and teams that won't have any problems. They won't have any problems beating the ACC also does a, a division system, right? And so there's the Coastal and the Atlantic inside the, the ACC conference. Miami's in the ACC Coastal, and the only competition basically that they have, you know, looking ahead to the future here is Pittsburgh. And, and Pitt has suffered injuries at like half their play, half their starting positions right now. So as long as Miami beats Pittsburgh, basically, they're going to be in the ACC championship. And yeah, they may, they might lose to Clemson or, or North Carolina or whoever else comes out of that. But I think those, they'll still end up with a really good season, a winning record and something to be proud of. So not time to panic yet for Miami. Let's give Mario Cristobal, a, you know, a good two or three seasons to get his guys in there to get the offense flowing. And, and I think he'll be all right. Alrighty. Good to see that we agree on that one. Moving on to our next college football topic, our second one of the day, we have three, remember, in total. Nobody ever gives love to the Pac-12, and Matt and I have talked about this on the podcast before. The Pac-12, they just play all their games late, and you know, you'll know you see Washington against Oregon or Oregon State you know, on a 10 or 10.30 at night, and you're saying, okay, well, why am I going to stay up until 1 a.m. or 1.30 a.m. when I have church to go to tomorrow and I don't really want to watch these two teams just put up a bunch of points and one team just, you know, kind of wins by like 10 to 20 points or whatever. Oregon dominated undefeated BYU on Saturday and Washington also got a great win over top 10 team in Michigan state elsewhere. USC continues to shine with their new look and Washington state got a a win over top 20 Wisconsin in Madison this past week. So a lot of, a lot of big wins for the PAC 12 this past week. I'm going to ask this question to Matt. Could this be the year that we finally see a 
Pac-12 team make the playoff since, I don't know, maybe Oregon? or Was Oregon the last one to, to make it the playoff? Oregon in 2014. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So will this be the first time that we see a Pac-12 team make the playoff in eight years? Or could they face the same fate as they always do uh, when they beat up on each other at to, to end the season and they finish with records that aren't good enough to make the playoff? Yeah, that's the key. They have the they have the teams that are good enough to do it. The problem is there's not one great team that's better than the rest that can say, hey, we have this great competition that we're playing and beating. And so therefore, because of that, then, you know, winning the Pac-12 conference, having a great record, only one or two losses going into it, they'll be able to, you know, they'll be able to make it to the playoff. There's a lot of good teams, though, as I mentioned, and, and there's teams that are getting wins that we're not, you know, thinking of as teams that would great get great wins. Oregon, our only impression of Oregon was that they lost by four to six points to Georgia. Well, let me give you a tip, folks. Georgia's going to beat a lot of teams by 46 points, and they already have, okay? So that's not a good measure of competition for how good Oregon is as a team. They followed up with a week two win over Eastern Washington. I get it. Eastern Washington's an FCS team, but they win by 70 points, 7-0, right? Going to week three, BYU is one of those like they're joining the big 12 next year, but they've been an independent school for however long now. And they always end up in the top 25. They're always one of these top programs. They're down their two receivers. I think they were down two defensive linemen as well. So they're hurt this year, but still have a really, really great team. And they're always solid. Oregon was up 30, I think 38 to seven after three quarters, BYU scored a bunch of garbage time points in the fourth quarter. But I mean, seriously, we weren't expecting Oregon. I mean, they, I think they were three-point favorites, right? But they weren't supposed to win by a ton, and they crushed BYU. So I think that, you know, we're kind of – we got our sights set on Oregon kind of at the wrong time because it was a national stage and they lost a huge game. But it's going to take a little bit because, again, they have a new coach too because Mario Cristobal, the aforementioned Mario Cristobal, who's now at Miami, was the coach of Oregon last year. Dan Lanning is now the head coach of Oregon now, and he used to be the defensive coordinator at Georgia. We know what that defense did last year as we saw basically all of them be drafted in the first round. So there you go. All right. I think Oregon can build something here, and I think that Bo Nix, despite his crazy, you know, inconsistent plays, it is it can grasp this system and eventually become something not Bo Nix-like. Washington, Michigan State got a lot of hype, but they beat two MAC teams in their first two games, like a combined like 120 to four, right? Well, they didn't actually, their opponents didn't score four points because they didn't get two safeties, okay? But they're not, they're not Iowa, all right? Look up the week one box score, Iowa, South Dakota State, by the way. Um, they, they crushed their first two opponents and they come into this game at Washington, where Washington's been a team that a few years ago, really good. Solid coaching, everything good to go. They changed their coaches over. They got a lot worse last year. I think they were like five and seven, maybe even four and eight last year. It was, it was, a, it was a horrible record. They're back this year. And you know why? Michael Penix Jr. You probably heard the name before. You're probably like, who the heck is that guy? But I think I've heard his name before. He used to play for Indiana, okay? In the COVID season, 2020, Indiana got to the Big Big Ten Championship game. He had that crazy, I, guess, I mean, it must have been a regular season game, but the Penn State thing where he's, you know, flying over the goal line. This guy's a good player. Now, who was his quarterback at Indiana when he was doing really well? It's a guy named Caleb DeBoer, DeBoer, DeBauer, something like that. Caleb DeBauer leaves for Fresno State, all right? Michael Penix is left at, in Indiana, and he plays horrible. In Well, two years ago, he played horribly. Last year, he tore his ACL, so he was out for the season. 
Where does Kalen DeBar get hired? At Washington. He's the head coach of Washington now. Who does he bring in to be the Washington quarterback? Michael Penix Jr. And what are they doing so far this season? Absolutely tearing it up. So it's a very good combination that they have here. An offensively minded coach at Washington is something that we rarely see, but something that they do need in order to succeed. They had that now. They're looking really good. All right. Who else do we got? USC. Really nothing to say here. Caleb Williams is their quarterback. He's probably the favorite for the Heisman at this point. They're they're playing out of their minds. He he they're they've scoring like they're scoring like 55 points a game or something. Their turnover ratio right now is 10 to zero. They have 10 turnovers and they've given up the ball zero times. And I think off of like points off turnovers, they have like 70, like 70 something points off turnovers. So that's going to regress a little bit, but they've played some all right teams and, and they've just crushed everybody that that, that they've played. Big test coming up here, Oregon State this weekend, because Oregon State's also really good um, and undefeated so far, too. Washington State, as Hayden mentioned, got a big win over Wisconsin. So we have a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that are looking really good as compared to what we thought they were going to be. But again, as Hayden mentioned, the, the always the question is with the Pac-12 is like, what are they going to do with all of this hype? Or can actually one team really come out of this and just win 11 games in a regular season? And we actually didn't even mention Utah. I completely forgot to put them in here. Utah was a top 10 team to start the season. They are have a top 10 team worthy of talent. They could easily win the Pac-12, right? And they lost to Florida in their first game. But if they run the table, they can make it to the playoffs. So it's one of those things where, like, any of these teams – if they just only lose like one game in the regular season and then win the conference championship and you have a one loss Pac-12 champion vying against, you know, a team like, I don't know, like a Michigan, like a one loss Michigan or, a, you know, one loss Alabama or, or, or Georgia kind of vying for a playoff spot, it might be possible. But you just have to hope that what, these teams just don't beat up on each other because they always end up doing that. And so you might have like three teams that are 10 and two, but while those are very good records overall and the teams may be really good as a collective, there's not one team that stands out as the best one who's worthy of the, co- you know, the conference champion in order to get, you know, again, then to go into playing in the playoff. So I don't know, we're going to have to see, but I'm really rooting for the PAC 12 here. And, and I hope that just one of these teams ends up, you know, kind of pulling away and, and, and being on top. I hope it's not USC because that would just be unfair if it's like the first year that Lincoln Riley's there and Caleb Williams and they get all these transfers in and they end up like winning the league and, and going to the playoff. But at the end of the day, it would be a PAC 12 represent representation in the playoff for the first time in like 10 years. So it would be better than nothing, but you know, we'll see. Go Pac-12. Yeah, the the college football playoff dynamic right now is is really funny. At least last year it was. I think we've got a perfect example of it last year. So, like Matt was saying, the Pac-12, they just beat up on each other at the end of each year. And so they give each other two losses each. And so none of their teams can make it to the to the college football playoff because of that. And I think the, the Big 12 is kind of the same way. They they do the same thing. We we saw last year the Big 12 championship. What what was it? It was like Oklahoma State beat Baylor or something like that. Baylor beat Oklahoma State. Okay, yeah. yeah, it was the other way around. But that was not expected to happen at all. And everybody was like, dude, what is going on here? You know, why is Oklahoma not in the in the in the Big 12 championship? And it was exactly that. It was like those those teams in the the Big 12 and the Pac 12, they just beat up on each other in the regular season so that they right, they give each other too many losses to make it into the the college football playoff. And then you're stuck with Alabama and Georgia or whatever two SEC teams are the best two SEC teams. You're stuck with those guys. You're stuck with one big 10 team. And then that last team was Cincinnati. They had to pull from the AAC because they were like, okay, well the big 12 and the PAC 12, they have objectively better programs than 
the AAC does, but all their records are crappy because they beat up on each other at the end at, at the end of the season. I think it was just I think it was a really good idea to to point that out by Matt in this topic. So moving on to our last topic, Matt, you can you can go ahead and take it away. I got it. And and look at this. We're going to bookend the episode here. You can tell that we're getting better at podcasting because listen to this. Much like the Lions this season, Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawks have scored an absurd amount of points so far this season. In their three games so far, they've scored 56, 55, and then 48 points respectively uh, in their most recent win, 48 points over a Houston team that's joining Kansas in the Big 12 next year. They've also won back-to-back road games for the first time since 2007. So this Kansas offense is crazy, and, and they score like nobody nobody's business. So Hayden, get, what, what do you think about Kansas? I think Kansas is is the, the real deal on offense. Now I, I point out on offense because they have given up a good amount of points. I didn't look that up either. I probably should have, you know, kind of fallen down on the job there. But I but I am focusing on this offense as we did for the Lions, and that is because. Their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, in in Kansas right now, he's crazy, man. All right, so 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 listen through three games. They're three and zero. The Kansas Jayhawks. They probably haven't been three and zero in many years. Okay, and Jalen Daniels, their quarterback, he's only completed forty seven passes, but he has five. He's thrown for five hundred sixty six yards and ten. I mean, sorry, not ten. Whoa, that ten would have been crazy. Seven touchdowns and only one interception this season. But and you might be saying, okay, well, 566 yards through three games, like that's that's not all that. Okay, yeah. Well, he also has 27 rush attempts for 237 yards and three TDs on the ground. That's averaging 8.8 yards per carry. And in college, I'm pretty sure I'm getting my facts right here. In college, not in the NFL, but in college, they do count sacks as rushing yards. I'm pretty sure as negative rushing yards. I'm pretty sure. I'm not completely confident in that, but. I'm pretty sure that NFL doesn't count sacks as negative rushing yards. College does. So that if that's true, that is also to say that he's either avoiding sacks or he's just running even more and counteracting those negative yards with, you know, taken with those sacks. And he's just being a beast. Jalen Daniels is is an absolute beast. Now, if you remember, uh, if you watched him, I think two years ago, I think it was during the, during COVID year, actually, I think, yeah, I think, I think it was during COVID year. When Jason Bean was their quarterback, he's a he, he's built like a bean. He's built like a string bean. Okay, he's super skinny. He's a pretty tall, dude. He was he was pretty good while they were there. He was like their only hope really on offense. I think that Jason Daniels now. I mean, Jason Daniels. I mean, sorry, not Jason. Jay Lund. They, you got Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean. I mean, it's basically the same name. Yeah, Jaden um, Daniels at LSU. Come on. Yeah, yeah. There you go. But uh, but Jalen Daniels took over this this QB job, and he's basically proving, Hey, I'm going to carry this team even more than Jason Bean did back in 2020 or 2021. I can't remember which year it was. And I'm going to be a beast. And yeah, Jalen Daniels is just going absolutely crazy. He's the reason for a lot of their touchdowns. I mean, he's he's been the reason for 10 of their touchdowns so far this season and right. They're averaging, they're averaging over 50 points this season. And Matt said that USC is averaging something like 55. Kansas is right up there with them. It's it's um it's been a crazy ride for Kansas so far. I'm really excited to see what they do the rest of the season. I'm actually going to I'm actually going to make an effort to start watching their games more because in the past, I don't think that anybody's ever said that statement in in the history of of life saying I want to watch the Kansas Jayhawks play football. So I'm, I'm going to say right now, I want to watch the Kansas Jayhawks play football this year. 
That's right. It's like we're at an AA meeting. I want to watch the Kansas Giants play football this year. It's true. They're, and it's because of their coach, all right? Lance Leipold. I told you about this in the college football preview like three weeks ago. He is the reason that they are playing this well. They haven't been able – seriously, it is like if you don't follow college football and you don't know how bad Kansas has been, it's actually impossible to an- analogize – the situation here like it's not even like i'm thinking i'm trying to think i'm like this is like if like the jaguars or the lions like you know went to the playoffs out of nowhere it's kind of like that but again it's only three games in so they could still lose a lot and they probably you know they're just we're getting into big they haven't even played conference games yet so you know they, they they're not gonna i don't think they're gonna have a winning record but who's putting it past them i mean they're scoring out, out the bejesus right now and to put it in perspective a little bit i think this is probably the best thing i can do Houston, who they beat by 28 points, four touchdowns. First of all, they were 10-point underdogs, all right? You take the spread. I took the spread. You win outright. That's an easy cash, okay? Regardless, Kansas beat Houston by 28 points. Houston played last year, was finished the year, I think 11-2. and two. They played Cincinnati in the AAC Championship. If you remember, Cincinnati went to the college football playoff and was undefeated. So their biggest competition, Cincinnati's biggest competition, Cincinnati, this team that went to the college football playoff, they had all these draft picks that, you know, obviously, yes, they lost to Alabama, but they did it. They went undefeated. There's this great team. Houston's their biggest competition, and Kansas just beat up on Houston. So, And a lot of people were saying Houston might even be better than Cincinnati this year, all right? So that's the type of thing that we're looking at where I think that hopefully that does a little bit of justice to paint the picture of how turned around this Kansas team is and how well the future is looking for them now that Lance Leipold is their coach. Hopefully he does it because people are saying that he already might be poached for the Nebraska job. Hopefully he doesn't like quit on this team and, and, and go to a bigger job. Obviously he's going to make way more money. So for personal reasons, it might make sense because yeah, you're going to make like quadruple the money, probably even more than that 10 times the money that you are now, but he's been at smaller schools before and he's won at these smaller schools. And I think he's very, he's a very stick to type of guy. So I would love to see him just stay here for like 10 years, build the Kansas program up and, and, and just kind of stay in the big 12 and just win a lot. I think that would be so cool and so good for this fan base who literally hasn't seen success, any type of even close to success in, in over 15 years now. So great for Kansas. Great for Hayden for bringing that up. Uh, you know, th- and the future is bright, at least for, for a team that, well, two teams, let's put it this way. The future is bright for the Kansas Jayhawks and the future is also bright for the Detroit lions a little bit more than, than at least than last year in both cases. So a, a very positive end to the podcast today. Yes. Yes. Very positive end. And I do like that little, parallelism that we had going on well parallelism is actually when you start something and end it with the same thing we actually didn't start with the lions yeah, we don't need an english lesson Hayden. it was <laughs> it was our second topic not our first topic no but yeah um yeah that was a that, that was a pretty cool pretty cool ending there but, but nonetheless that is the ending of, of the episode i hope you guys enjoyed it lots of content today but we did we did get through it in, in pretty good time and we did get I mean, we got a lot of a lot of information in 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 a pretty condensed amount of time, but that's that's what we like to do here. Happy to get it out to you guys. As always, um, we will be back later in the week on Thursday with our with our second episode of the week. That's going to be our first freelance episode that isn't really a recap of the weekend of football. And so I don't even really know what the plan is for Thursday, but we we're going to kind of work on that from now until then and then it'll be as new to us as it is to you guys on thursday so there you go we're going to cook something up in the lab on in these these days leading up to thursday and we will be back with our second episode of the week 
you best believe it's going to be it's, it's going to be a good episode of banger as they say and yeah we'll catch you then <laughs>